So do you genuinely believe if that hadn't have happened, the show would have been done? Absolutely. There's a 0% chance. I am a sound designer and host of a podcast about sound called 20,000 Hertz. The whole, the whole show takes about 250, 300 hours of people's time to make. I think I spent forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 before we ever got advertising. No one got what I was doing back then. My family didn't get what I was doing. My wife... It drained me emotionally, mentally. I was in very dark places. We had gone from like 250 listeners and it just like hockey sticks like straight up. You are listening to it for free. If you knew how much gut churn and how painful financially the show has been, you would totally be fine with it. Personal stories, hardships along the way, like huge mistakes that were almost made. Those are the things that really like bring all the color and the glue to a story. It's all about asking the questions that evoke the most personal feelings. In my freedom as an independent podcaster, which there are not very many on, on medium to large shows, I just want to green light my curiosities and then see where what comes out of it. Because if I'm interested, surely some other people will be. And I, we just have faith that they will. Welcome to Inside the Podcast Studio the show where we go behind the scenes with successful independent podcasters to help and inspire you on your podcast journey. I'm your host, Rob J. And in this episode, you're going to hear the amazing story behind probably one of the, if not the biggest independent podcasts out there. And I'm judging biggest by the amount of time it takes to create one episode, the production that goes into an episode, and how much money it costs to actually make the show. And the show that I'm talking about is the 20,000 Hertz podcast. And my guest today is the host and creator of that show, Dallas Taylor. So in this episode, you're going to hear the incredible journey of that podcast from the early stages of conception to how Dallas almost ran out of money to actually create the show to how a chance encounter with a fellow podcaster changed the trajectory of the show forever. Not only that, but Dallas also digs into how they craft the show, how they conduct their interviews to capture the exact content they need because it is a narrative podcast after all. So the way that they tell stories is through clips from those interviews and much, much more. So now here's my conversation with Dallas. So before we get into the podcast and and all the interesting things that you've been doing, for the listeners who aren't familiar with who you are, who is Dallas Taylor? (laughs) Who is Dallas Taylor? Um, Nowadays, I am uh, a sound designer and host of a podcast about sound uh, called 20,000 Hertz. Okay. All right, cool. Very straightforward. I like it. (laughs) So before the podcast, and I I think this is still current, but before the podcast, what was your day job? Yeah. So my day job has remained relatively consistent pre and post podcast, uh, but the podcast has been up for about five years. But prior to that, uh, I spent most of my time as the creative director at my sound design studio. And so what that essentially entails is um, having a team of sound designers send me really amazing sounding stuff, uh, ads and promos and trailers all day long. And I get to critique them and try to uh, squeeze out another percent or two in effectiveness uh, sonically. So yeah, leading the leading the team at DeFacto, doing kind of like all these campaigns for big agencies and TV networks. Prior to, I worked at, at a lot of the uh, LA studios, Fox and G4 uh, and NBC uh, before starting DeFacto. So um, yeah, it was basically doing similar things, but now we've just grown so much over the past five years uh, that it's just kind of more of that. So a lot of my time now is really bouncing between a lot of creative directing and leading on that and then uh, podcast talking. Okay. All right. So just out of curiosity, if you were to give it like a, like a percentage split, like how much of your time is podcasting and how much of your time is the the rest of your, your work? It varies depending on how busy we are, but I would say that it feels probably 50, 50, but very random. So I could be, I don't know, writing or something for the podcast and then I'll have something pop up in the middle of it and then kind of go into a de facto world for a couple hours and then pop back over and record something or uh, write something. Uh, So yeah, it's just kind of always backing back and forth. They are kind of two distinct worlds uh, that are, that are kind of under an umbrella. Uh, So in my mind, they kind of mush together, but they are, they are pretty uh, distinct from each other nowadays. 
Okay. Okay, cool. All right. And as a side note, I had a note which was to compliment you on your podcast description because it is very good. Oh, like I, I read this book, um, I think it's called Make Noise. Um, the guy the guy who wrote it is he's like big in the podcast world. I can't remember what he'd been in, but if, if I told you it shows you would know them. And one of his things was like, you have to get this really, you know, someone can read the description and know what the show is about. And yours is one of the few ones where I'm like, oh, this is really good. So, you know, kudos. Yeah. And I can repeat it for you since I've spent so much time thinking about it. It's the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. Actually, there's extended version, a lovingly crafted podcast revealing the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the lovingly crafted is what I read today. Um, but both of those, they're awesome. Yeah. Really good. Thanks. So for people that are listening that don't know the show, um, can you tell us what the show is? And then as a follow up to that, like, what's the story behind the show? Why did you start the show? I think of the show as almost like an uh, like an Anthony Bourdain for sound in my my mind, because we have so many TV shows and things that that are very celebratory of food, uh, you know, our sense of taste and um, sight and things like that. But sound gets this kind of if, it, you know, we, music gets a lot of the spotlight and just sound as uh, as a sense really doesn't. Uh, so what I wanted to do was just take these stories that us sound designers kind of tell badly to each other and maybe get the facts wrong and then find the right facts and then actually tell kind of uh, the story behind these really interesting, uh, just how, how interesting and zigzaggy and complicated crafting something that we all kind of don't even think about. Uh, just how cool that that process is, and just how thoughtful and detailed, and how every microsecond has a has a meaning for it. So this, so the show um, spends a lot of time uh, telling the stories behind recognizable sounds, things like the Netflix sound or the Wilhelm scream or the NBC chimes or like something that we hear all the time, like the Apple startup sound or something. Like where where did all that come from? And there's these great stories. And then we spend kind of the other half of the time, uh, and this is why I added the and interesting sounds part, because I wanted to go down paths that just were interesting to me. So there might be a little bit more sideways, like doing uh, like how data sonification is is teaching scientists about seizures and stuff. So uh, just how how cool like sound uh, can be implemented in other ways. And so, uh, so the, the show really, uh, the other thing is just making it just as highly crafted and as, as, as well scripted as possible. The whole, the whole show takes about 250, 300 hours of, of people's time to make, uh, through multiple phases. And, um, so we, we spend just an enormous amount of time because I feel like there's a bar that needs to be set by a show that's about sound to maximize, you know, every possible creative thing we can do in that medium okay i want to dive into that because like how long the podcast episodes take i was super interesting so i want to get into that but before we get to that so you had the idea for the show so so some people start the show i I think you started this as a passion project right Mm because some people start shows because they're like you know i have a sound company and i want to create this podcast so people find out about my sound company and then come to me for business. So like the the impetus behind creating that, was that purely just, you know, I'm interested in these things. I want to put something out there that other people might be also interested in those same things. Uh, yeah. So a beneficial side product of the podcast is that it does build a lot of like, um, I don't know, brand, I don't know, not, maybe not brand awareness, but just like brand, brand trust, I guess, for that side of it. Yeah. And you're it does the, you're kind of, the sound expert now. Yeah, right? it just kind of built me as an authority figure. But I knew from the very beginning that no one would listen to something that felt like veiled marketing. So it's interesting. I mean, if uh, as people listen to the show, you'll hear us talk about aspects of sound that I'm I'm an expert in, but I never reveal it. I never talk about it or whatnot. I don't go into a left turn and say, well, I, I, I know that. So, um, but I'm just trying to extract these stories from really, really talented, uh, people. And, uh, in my world, sound design, things like Foley or sound effects editing or or things like that. Like I know that really well, but when I'm in an interview with someone, I'm, I'm the, the layman, like I'm the one going like, tell me how that works and stuff because, uh, because I want to highlight them. And, uh, and also more than anything, uh, because there's a mission behind the show and the mission is not get a bunch of business for my, um, for my my side business or my other business. The mission is to really get people invited into uh, their their sound world and and opening up people's minds and thoughts to just the the sonic world around them, making their lives better. And really more than anything, it's just 
uh, getting people, normal people to feel like they can curate sound um, like they do their other senses. Um, you know, visually, you can look in every direction. Most likely, most people who are listening to this, uh, everything around them is designed in some regard. Even if you're going on a walk, there's so much that's just designed by people. Same thing with taste. You know, we, we curate our, our sense of taste uh, every day. Uh, smell, you know, the things, if something smells bad, we curate that out. Um, and touch, you know, comfy clothes and comfy in HVAC and comfy couches and stuff like that. All of these uh, you don't really need an invite to curate. We just, as humans go, this is something I want and uh, it would make my life better with sound though. We, uh, I feel culturally, and this isn't uh, global or, or whatnot, but culturally, at least in my world of advertising, where we really only have the sense of sight and the sense of, uh, hearing to, uh, motivate people to, you know, communicate. I feel like even in that world, there's still such a, such a lack of care for the sonic uh, effectiveness of something it's very much like sound is this thing that's very much like a finishing thing like we'll get to that once we figure out how everything looks and all that stuff and 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 i think that's that was a bit of the motivation is just maybe a chip on my shoulder of like if we can't figure it out with two senses here in the highest possible stage the biggest ads and stuff in the world and we're still like struggling with with how to use sound then normal people and and so the even just kind of like for me, uh, the the word audiophile, I don't love the word because it feels like it's gatekeeping. Like there's some sort of special part of someone's brain that makes them an audiophile and not you. Whereas I feel the opposite. Everyone's an audiophile just as much as someone's a tasteophile. I mean, unless you don't don't like food. Some people don't. But with sound, it's like if you have your sense of hearing, there's a good chance that like... Uh, I mean, I feel very confident that once you just kind of become more aware of it, like you do with your food choices and the things you like and dislike, once you start to really consciously uh, think through it, um, everyone's an audiophile, in my opinion. So two two follow-ups to that. So one, just as a side note, when you go into an interview and you're you're talking to somebody about, you know, a sound-related thing that you're an expert in, and they're also, I assume, an expert in. Because to me, right, I'm an app developer and I have a set like another podcast where I talk to developers. And some of the stuff I know the answer to the question, but I ask the question because I know that the people that are listening don't. But I also find it really like weird to ask that question because I know they know that I know. So it's like, well, at what point is this explanation good enough? Because I'm talking to somebody who's the expert. I don't know how to word that question, but I guess the question is, is it weird? I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, we do. We are very particular about who conducts an interview. So I probably only do like one out of five or ten, and that's strategic because one, we all of the writers that we have for the most part are not in the sound world, uh, with some minor exceptions. But it's really important that writers are not sound experts. Like they know what we want to extract, but we I need people who are not experts to really find where little nuggets are interesting because I have a uh, a blind spot to that. Now, there are a lot of times when I will do the interview myself, and I would say it's not so bad because a lot of times we just don't know each other that well. And I, I keep that kind of purposeful. And I, I just kind of submit to them because my number one goal when I'm doing an interview is really just to highlight them. Just ask questions that that gives them the best setup for an answer. And as someone who does sound design, uh, I have a pretty good idea of like what questions set someone up to succeed. And uh, and I do mention kind of right off the bat, uh, oftentimes that, you know, we're, we're communicating with children and uh, adults that, that are not sound people. And, uh, and I really want to extract those stories that they just tell all the time to people who don't work in the industry. And I think it's just kind of in the way the questions are asked and the submissiveness and and whatnot. But I've, n- I've never really found it weird or anything, even with people who know who, who know that I'm a, a sound designer as well. I just think we all, the sound world is really, really special. And I think that sound designers in general feel the same way that I do about sound. It's just like, it's just so neat. And they're just excited to tell people how neat it is. And sound people just don't usually have a platform to do that. And so I feel really fortunate that the show has um, gotten large enough that it, uh, at least with enough people that, that it really feels like a platform now when, when somebody's going to come on the show. Okay. So then I guess the the logical next step from there is, so you, you, you mentioned like you have a large platform, right? But when you started the podcast, how, how did you launch the show and how did you get the word, the word out there that this thing exists? Because it's a show about sound, but it's really well crafted for somebody like me who like, if I, if, 
if like you didn't have that really good description and you said to me, oh, I have a show about, you know, the Netflix sound, I'd probably be like, oh, that's probably not for me, right? I'm not, I'm not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you mentioned before, like audiophile is like a gatekeeper thing. I would think it was an audiophile podcast. I'm not an audiophile. It's not for me. That's our biggest problem, actually, is people going, I wouldn't be interested in that. I'm like, yeah, you would. Right, exactly. <laughs> but then when you listen to the show, it's like, oh my God, what other episodes are there? I want to know all of these things. Yeah. We'll be right back with this conversation. But just before we do, if you are wondering how the audio in this interview sounds so good, that is because it was recorded using Riverside.fm. So there's a lot of tools out there to record sound, Squadcast, Zencaster. They're all great. Personally, I'm using Riverside FM right now. And I really, really, really like it. So some of the benefits is one, it's cheaper than Squadcast. So that's definitely a plus. Two, it records studio quality audio on both sides of the conversation. So it records the conversation so you get the sound quality that you would get as if you were in exactly the same room as that person, as opposed to the sound quality that you might get over something like Zoom or Skype. So I just wanted to shout out Riverside. Highly recommend them. If you want to give them a try, I think they give you two hours of a free trial and you get to keep all the audio and video that's recorded in those two hours. So definitely a good shout if you're thinking about giving it a go. And if you are thinking about giving Riverside a go, then you can use my link, which is in the show notes, or you can go to insidethepod.co slash Riverside. Now, back to the conversation. So so when you launched, like how did you launch the show and how did you get the word out there that, you know, this thing exists and also it's a, it's a sound podcast that's not for, you know, your quote unquote audio file. Well, I got really lucky, but I got really lucky after a lot of risk, like tons of risk going into it. And so uh, it's something that I'd been thinking about. Uh, we launched in 2016 at the end of 2016, but this was something I was I was thinking about at least three to five years prior to it. Like I'd already bu- I had already bought the domain name like 20,000hertz.com. Like I knew that something was going to be done with that. And I didn't know if it'd be like a YouTube channel or a podcast or just a place for silly videos about sound or something. Um, but uh, what happened, the spark that really kind of like led it that direction was 99% Invisible. The very first episode of 99% Invisible was about sound. And I remember just like immediately falling in love with it and like, this is amazing. And so I didn't have any intent to make a podcast about sound because 99% Invisible was doing it, especially early on. And um, as that show developed, um, really early on, I'd reached out to Roman Mars, who's the host, and just said, I adore what you're doing. The way that you talk about design in such a romantic way is something that I've never thought about and i apply that that sense of or at least i I attempt to apply that romanticism to de facto sound so i've even presented my own company in a way that i felt like that show did about design so it's hugely influential influential in my life that radio lab was happening at the same time uh this american life these big kind of shows that still exist but uh that was just kind of the seed now over the years, um, I was just a cat. I listened to 99PI. I ended up getting to the point where I was just like really wanting to just hear the sound stories. And I noticed over the years, it just started to get long. It's, it was like more, more shows in between sound shows. So it seemed like that was kind of trickling out a little bit. And that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about even our show is like it could spin off into like three, four different types of shows because we do so much. But 99PI kind of did that, too. Like Roman kind of set up this thing that could be spun into a million different directions really strongly. And I noticed that just that it was thinning out on on sound shows. And uh, there was some time went by and I just happened to know Roman just casually. And um, I think I kind of just floated the thing. And I was just like, I, I don't want to like rip you off and I don't want to do that. But I, I really think that there's a space for sound only shows like not there's plenty of music shows. You've done these things that are that are sonic related. And uh, I don't know if I really I, in my mind, I kind of felt like I was trying to get his blessing on it. And in my mind, I kind of felt like he was like, oh, yeah, do it. Like, and, and I don't know if that's how it happened. But just in my mind, I felt like. I felt like Roman gave me the blessing to to kind of start to teeter into that or start to tiptoe into that space. So once I kind of felt that uh, felt, you know, we're going to do this, um, we started to green light it in the in our studio. So the studio um, is doing commercials and ads and all this stuff. But we have this this bit of downtime between things. And I really wanted to fill that downtime with something meaningful for us. And so that's when we started doing that. Our first two episodes, one was on the voice of Siri. The second one was on the NBC chimes. Those took us a year to make. 
and they're only like 11 or 12 minutes long. They're so short, but we just couldn't figure out structure and form. And I didn't want to put something out that, that wasn't the best it could possibly be. Meanwhile, and this is where the risk gets in, uh, is involved. Meanwhile, I was determined to never ask anyone to work for free on my passion because we've done that a million times at the studio, like new directors and we work for free just in the hopes that they kind of get big and all that stuff. But I wanted to do something. I wanted to put that investment back in the company, but that meant a lot of hard costs. I mean, I ended up, I think I spent forty, fifty thousand dollars in in costs before we ever got advertising. And it was just, it drained me emotionally, um, mentally. I was uh, in very dark places, like, because I was just, I was just draining just to try to make something that I thought I believed in this. There's a space here that people are not talking about sound and I wanted to, wanted to do it. So I spent so much money that just kind of drained everything, my savings and, and all this stuff. Cause I wanted to hire writers and pay them fairly and, and all that stuff. So artists and all that stuff. So I was just draining money for this dream, which sounds just not smart. So put out the first episode, um, you know, kind of promoted it in my own ways. And there was maybe like 200 people who listened to it. Um, and uh, put out, and that was the voice of Siri. Put out the second episode, uh, the NBC chimes, and maybe like three hundred people heard it. Yeah, and then um, uh, the week after, where we go, I was determined to go every other week with the show. So then we have an off week, but the week right after I put out the second episode, I went to a podcast convention. Just so happened, Roman Mars was there too. Just so happened, we pass each other. Like I'm going out to get food, he's coming in with food. So we stand outside, and I remember this conversation vividly because he was just like, Hey, I really dig what you're doing. Would you be interested in? And I was just like, well, tell me like, what did you like? What did you dislike all this stuff? He's like, it's not about that. He was like, I could rip apart your form. I could, I, I, but I'd rather just encourage you and just tell you that like, I get what you're doing. And that really, and even hearing me say that now, like it's, it's really special because no one got what I was doing back then. My family didn't get what I was doing. My wife, like my like the people in my studio, I mean, I think they kind of got an idea, but like it felt like a pipe dream. It just felt like it was so lofty that it was almost embarrassing because I just put so much many of my cards on the table for that. But um, but yeah, he was like, I dig what you're doing. I understand what you're doing. And um, would you be interested in me playing your last episode on 99% Invisible next week? And I was like, you don't have to do that. But of course, I would take you up on that. And I was just like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he was like, it's not about you did all the work. Like, and I want to recognize that. Like, it's I would never do this had the work already not been put here. But you did. It's so clear how much work you put into this. And my audience would love it. And it gives us, a, you know, a week to uh, decompress a little bit, gives us a little bit more time to work on our shows. So, you know, very thankfully, I said, Great. Yeah. So then we put out our third episode, you know, we had gone from like 250 listeners to like maybe 312 listeners. The third episode, 99PI drops our second episode at the exact same time we drop our third episode. And it just like hockey sticks like straight up, like into numbers that I can't comprehend. It was like 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000. I think that, that, that one day it just like shot up. And then like, um, if you've ever seen podcast stats, stats, they shoot up and then they settle and then they just kind of like trickle down. Well, it went from like nothing essentially with our first two episodes to like a giant spike to back down where it was like consistently four or 5,000 like listeners every single day. And that just remained, uh, from that point. So 99 PI seeded the show, but then because of that, um, because of, of, of being there, it immediately gave legitimacy to the show immediately NPR, I talked to them about them. They they were interested in picking up the show and distributing it. They had talked about uh, distributing it. I, I really wanted that to work. But then when we got into financials um, and they were like, how much does it cost to make the show? And they're, and I told them and I was like, and they were like, no, yeah, no. <laughs> and I was like, to do a show about sound with sound design and all this stuff, like we, we, you know, we can't just talk our way through sound design. We've got to make it. And that's where it takes all the time. So, uh, you, so, you know, they were promoting it on, on, on NPR. They were, uh, uh, kind of in a side channel on their NPR one, uh, immediately kind of got features all over the place. Cause it was this thing that, that Roman launched. And then, um, then yeah, the, the rest is kind of history. You know, we've just kind of um, just stair-stepped slightly upwards with, and we've had a few places where there's been big features or whatnot. We've just kind of stair-stepped up to where we are now. And it's just a consistent, you know, very slow, consistent growth. But um, nowadays, I think we have about 125,000 people listening to each episode. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting. So it's, it's really neat putting information out to the world and seeing what, what comes back. Uh, but yeah, that's generally the story of, of, 
<laughs> so it all comes down to Roman, like me just bumping into Roman and um, him getting it. He has a real heart for launching shows and people and stuff. So that's we would not be we would not exist had I not gotten that offer uh, from Roman. So so do you genuinely believe like if he if that hadn't have happened, the show would have been done? Absolutely. There's zero yeah. percent. Is, is that just the final? I would have run out of money. Just not sustained itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just like I couldn't afford it. And um, and it was I mean, even looking back at the timing of it, because once it shot up, you need a few episodes to really see where it lands in order for advertisers to be interested. That also tipped advertisers off to new shows, uh, you know, being featured here. So I was getting emails from places I'd never heard of before, which now I find out are like the biggest podcast agencies. Um, started getting ads around uh, episode 10 or 11. And then that's where like it took probably six months to a year to even kind of like recoup part of the losses going into it. And then it took a couple of years before it actually stabilized. And now it generates income uh, that that kind of goes back into it. And then uh, the other business. So I'm finally on the other side of it, but it's, I mean, it was, it was a severe gut churn for about two, three years. I have a couple of questions on that. And, and, um, one of them is, so I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word to phrase it. I had like a bunch of questions written down. I'm just going to ignore those now because now Go my brain it. is just like, cool. <laughs> um, so you, 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 I assume, so you sunk a lot of money into the show to get it started, right? Like your own mm -hmm. money and you're paying people, to, to do all the things that I'm sure we'll get into that are related to like creating this show. Mm -hmm. So I w was the plan always like, like in your mind, you want to create this thing. I assume there was some part of you that's like this, this can work. I just need to figure out how to make it work. And then, and then was the plan always like advertisers are going to foot the bill for the episode or was it something else? Oh yeah, definitely. Advertisers. Okay. I never, even back then, uh, I never made it really about the company. Uh, and even today, if you listen to the show, you're not really going to hear me talk about what we do in the company. We did recently make some promos. That's kind of a little peek behind the curtain. I've generally been allergic to promoting the sh the, the my company on the show just because I feel like that's not going to feel right. But uh, we had our 50th episode. We did do kind of a, like a behind the scenes, really talking about how we put together the show. And then more recently, we've had a, a couple like two minute promos um, kind of highlighting the sound designers behind the show. And that was something we we toyed with a lot because I was like, it can't be just you can't be purely about like marketing the company. But how can we do this in a way where we're like highlighting the people that all you hear is their voice at the end? How can I tell how can I like extract how important that person is to the show? And so we made this series of like and we haven't even played. We've only played one. We have six of them just sitting in the background waiting for an opportunity. But it's a but essentially it's like kind of every sound designer um, as well as, as well as our producer and our um, uh, uh, story producer uh, kind of giving giving like a quick rundown of what they do um, outside of like kind of behind the scenes. And I thought that was cool because I was like, I would listen to that from other shows. And I think that's neat just to kind of get a little peek behind that voice. Um, so, yeah, as far as going back to your question, though, um, it had to be an advertising base. It had to survive itself. It had to be able to, like, generate its own income or it was just on a, a sinking ship. Um, so, yeah, between advertising. Now, there are a lot of benefits to the show. Um, so advertising does pay for the show, but it doesn't really make much profit. You know, I think now, like the, over the past year or so, it's like the, it's kind of eking out a little profit. But I really, uh, my number one goal is really just to pay all the people who write and work on the show uh, fairly. Because uh, as far as I'm uh, remembering, there has never been a single ask in the entire history of the podcast on any front that was not paid. Um, as far as like the, you know, photos or um, or websites or social stuff or whatever. It's like it's always, uh, I've been like fierce about that just because I didn't want to feel like I was asking for favors. Uh, so yeah, that it eventually kind of, uh, with me kind of dumb luck, I guess, if that's the right term, just me kind of bumbling around trying to figure it out. Uh, it, it worked itself out. And then now I understand all that stuff really clearly. But at the time I was just like, you want to pay me an ad money to talk about blue apron. Okay. I like blue apron. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So I want to get back to that a little bit. Cause I, I want to talk briefly about Bose and Shaw Cause I have some questions about those and I listened oh, sure. to the Shaw yeah. episode today and I thought it was really good. Um, but one, one of the things that I want to talk about is, so you, you mentioned like an episode at the start at least, and I don't know if it's different now took, you know, the first two episodes took a year to make. Um, and now mm -hmm. it, it's a weekly show. Am I right? Or is it, is it bi-weekly? There'll be occasional times, uh, when we draw, we've changed our methodology a little bit. 
we're trying to make sure that every two weeks there's an original show, which has never been the case in the past. Um, usually we'll, in a year, we'll do four or five features of other shows that are very 20,000 hertz like, and we kind of wrap, put a wrapper on it with an intro and kind of an outro and stuff, and then kind of use that as a story. Okay, to pick it up. So you have a bi-weekly show. So how long now does a show take? So let's say today you come up with an idea, I want to talk about this. Then how long does it take from when you start working on that to it's a published, or at least it's a ready-to-publish episode? Oh, wow. Uh, six months to a year probably um, still. Uh, because right now we have stories in production that won't air until close to this time next year. Um, just cause it takes so long and I don't like being rushed. And I think that what you hear on a lot of like public radio and stuff, um, they're very, they're incredible writers. And that's the thing too, is we're, we're good. We're really good writers, but we're not like the best in the world cause we're sound experts and we're just trying to get great writers to kind of provide us with things. Uh, but what you hear most of the time is kind of like the product of, ru- of, of, of how fast you have to move, um, in most shows, especially if you're doing weekly or whatever. And that's one of the things I didn't want to go weekly. And we've tried before for various circumstances last year we did a like eight weeks in a row and it was miserable because we felt like we had to water everything down we never quite got to where we wanted to go and uh because we were trying to like keep up with impressions and stuff like that and it just ugh, it just watered our, our showdown and so um yeah so that's uh so nowadays it takes about six to a, six months to a year from the moment we kick it off to it be an air to it airing to break that down a little bit more the first thing that's the most challenging is really just getting aligned with a writer. So usually that'll take a week or two. We'll kind of have a kickoff call. Then they'll go off and kind of do a rough outline with a few guests that they think would be perfect for this. They'll send that back um, to me and Casey, our our, uh, story producer. We'll uh, kind of review it and go, Oh, what about this? This would be a cool idea too. And Oh, I like this guest. I like that guest or, Oh, here's a another guest that I just happened to hear about that might be interesting. And then uh, we try to reach out to the guests, depending on how much they, uh, how quickly they respond can, can speed the show up. Um, I, if we have to get it like a celebrity or we're trying to get a celebrity that takes forever or alternatively, if we're trying to get someone in a company that is super high up the food chain and you know, they like, you know, the person who led the entire branding for Netflix, they're, you know, that's a multi-billion dollar company and they want to make sure that everything is, you know legit and you know it's not smeary or any of that stuff so it takes just a long time to get the people i mean sidebar i really try not to rely on celebrities and stuff i I think the show could grow faster if i was just like celebrity 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 but i just don't want to highlight celebrities i want to highlight the actual experts who are doing who've been doing the sound work for years quietly in their labs (laughs) and i want to get their voice out there not the celebrity who's doing this all the time so that's another thing it's just like kind of it it's it doesn't make the growth so fast but it it's it's more authentic in my mind. Um, yeah, where was I going with that? What was the next? Oh, yeah. And then it's just like writing fate. Once the kickoff, once we get the get the recording of the the interview, sometimes we have to send people microphones or put them in a recording studio or send an audio person to them because the number one thing with our show is you have to have great v- dialogue, like great interview sound because everything relies on that. It, like if we have a phone interview, it's so hard to get sound designer music to speak because of just the how uh, degraded that is. So we're very, very like focused on um, great sounding uh, dialogue. And if you ever hear a piece of interview on 20,000 hertz that was that is recorded semi poorly, I can guarantee you we toil over that and frustrate in frustration for weeks <laughs> because we're trying to, you know, f- trying to make something work there. So yeah, then when we we have two transcripts, usually if we have two guests, so we get all the transcripts and then the writer just kind of head down and writes and then it's just Tetris, like complicated story Tetris to kind of bring together these stories in the most clear simple ways. They will, we'll do a table read once they're happy, they'll go back after the table read and, you know, we'll rip it apart in a table read. They'll go back, rebuild the story, send it back in. We'll rip it apart again. They'll go back, rebuild the story, then usually submit it. And then at that point, usually Casey on staff is going to rip it apart and, and just, you know, clean every little bit up and get the quirks as far as like how I like to read things and how I like to perform things, um, situated. Music is always super complicated to figure out what what tone speaks and 
uh, putting in starts and stops for music. Um, I'm also a big believer that sound uh, effectiveness and sound does not happen in the sound design phase. It happens in the scripting phase. So everything needs to be written. I mean, you can, you can read our scripts and you will, you will hear, you will read all of the sound design that's going to go in it. You could just watch it and be like, the, and we'll explain exactly what we want to hear in every moment. So I'm a big believer. Everything needs to be on the script. And, uh, then it's all like nuance. So once we have, you know, once we have the script, you know, we've gone back and forth, eventually it's hitting me to actually read this, read the the show and record it. And then we put all of those materials. We have the clean recordings of the dialogue. We have my recordings that are nice and clean. We have any sort of all the music, uh, hopefully by this point has been picked and we have all of our, um, you know, if there's any sort of like examples along the way, those are sitting there if they're youtube videos that we need to pull a clip from or something um those are all kind of put in a bucket with the script and then we send it to our um our external sound editor since the studio is really busy with sound design um we just found a couple of years ago that we couldn't we couldn't do shows from beginning to end all internally and have our current workload so we have a sound editor soren who takes uh takes it and then does two three four passes with just casey our story editor and then once uh, they're happy with it, uh, then Soren submits it, and then we assign a sound designer to it. They do two, three, four, five, ten reviews back and forth with Casey, and then eventually, when they're really happy, then I come into it and listen to it. And then I, you know, two, three, four reviews or whatever, um, and then eventually get to a place where we're happy. And we're trying to be done with our episodes completely two to four weeks before we actually launch, because then we want to send it to people who might want to write about it, or if there's some sort of publication that that would find this interesting, we want to tip them off and things. So it's a huge, it's, it's, it's so, I mean, when I say it all like that, it's so complicated, but it just feels like we're in a constant tsunami of writing and scripting and reading and for all kinds of shows like sometimes i cannot even like my brain is like four episodes ahead we launch something and i'm like oh god someone's asking me a question about that show that just launched today and i don't even remember <laughs> so it's uh, a lot yeah i mean to, to me it sounds like making a movie or, or a tv show like it, it's in a scaled down way for sure what we're capable of in us in kind of in our uh, audio bubble yeah i mean you can you can totally tell that as well because one like so something that i noticed is that like one, the episodes like speak to me. I understand them, and then two, like the the I don't know if soundscape is the right word, but I was listening to I was listening to one today. I think it was a 20th Century Fox one, and um, you know, in the background you've got like the the different noises and sound effects and and all that kind of stuff playing. And in my mind, I was just I would have no idea how to do any of this stuff because it's really well crafted. So that like I was looking for it because I was looking for like all oh, what are interesting things to talk about. But if I wasn't looking for it, I would just be immersed in it the same way as that I don't notice the soundtrack of like a, a film, but the soundtrack is half of what makes the film or makes the scenes like exciting. So you could totally tell. But something yeah. that something that um that spoke to me when you what you were just saying is that in terms of like how you craft a narrative podcast, right? Which is like something that I'm interested in because you know, you guys do it well, loads of other shows do it really well as well. And you said that you do the interviews and then it goes to the writers and they come up with like the story. We will have questions prior. Going okay. Into okay. It, but yeah. So I guess the question is how, in that case, like is, how do you approach interviews knowing that you want to get like, this is the story that you want, but you don't have the story written out. So, so how do you approach the interviews so that when it's finished and it goes to, to whoever's doing the writing that they, that you could be fairly confident they have what they need to craft mm -hmm. it. Because I could imagine conducting an interview and then afterwards being like, there's a whole piece missing and I can't then go back and ask them, oh, hey, can you re-record? And I've got other questions. We'll be right back. But first, is this show bringing you value? If the answer is yes, then please share it with a friend or fellow podcaster so you can bring them value too. It only takes a second. You can share right from your podcast app. You can share on Instagram. You can share wherever you want. So if it is bringing you value, then please, please, please share the value with someone else. Now, back to the conversation. Yeah, there's a lot to this to unpack. Um, I will say what's interesting is we've pitched a lot of larger shows, um, Radiolab or Reply All or This American Life. We've, we've pitched them a million times, like, and we just can't, we just, something just doesn't click. Because what usually happens with a lot of those shows is um, they really, before they're going to green light something because they're so big. And I will say that now that we're getting larger and kind of we're getting a lot more picky, I understand where, why they do this. But a lot of times, like before 
uh, in a situation like that, they want to know all the beats. They want to be convinced on paper to even green light something. Whereas we are not like that. We're a lot more like when, for example, you say the 20th Century Fox episode. That got greenlit simply by, by me saying I knew nothing about what was happening. I know I, at the time I knew nothing about that story. All I knew was, oh, that is a cool fanfare. There's got to be a neat story behind that. Let's do a show on the 20th Century Fox fanfare. That's all I knew. All I, I mean, so like there's nothing beyond that. And it was like, okay, let's do it. So we start brainstorming and I was like, you know, I think it's a history show. Like, and I know that this started before I saw a YouTube video about Fox film a long time ago and it wasn't always, so like, what's up with that? And so we had to find like a, somebody who could really tell the story. And then I had knew nothing about the whole Newman family aspect of it or who composed it. And then, so I think that like, it's a really roundabout way of saying that we find the show along the way. Most of the time we can have an outline of what we think ahead of time. But every writer, and myself included, knows to follow where the story when it starts to come up. And uh, interview the art of interviewing is 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 uh, it's not hard. It's just different than communicating like this. Like this wouldn't sound nothing like an actual interview with uh, with the show. And this is why you don't usually hear the reactions from uh, in the interview. You, usually, the, as far as the interviewer whether it's me or a writer, you don't hear those because we're trying to extract things differently than being part of the story ourselves. So, um, so we have a loose outline. We have based off of that outline, we have a list of questions, usually around 10 kind of key pillar questions that, that, that fill our need for the outline that we initially thought, but we know that we might find out things more interesting, find out more interesting things along the way. So there we're always everyone's keeping an ear out for like, oh, that's an interesting personal story. Because if we can get something personal, um, it's I think it's just going to like penetrate people's minds and brains more deeply. The way that I think about it is we're taking like factoids. Um, I think the only way that factoid of, you know, some sound, how it was made really like gets if it's just like a factoid, like, did you know that the, you know, the Netflix sound was the sound of. The somebody, you know, the second half was somebody noodling around a, on a guitar in the 90s. And the first half is uh, a ring on a dresser on the side of a dresser from these two people. Like that's that's interesting. And and another factoid is that they almost had a goat bleat in it uh, because of a bunch of different reasons. It's interesting and it's sticky, but it's not like it's I don't think it's something that really like deeply embeds in someone's mind. So it, the glue that holds these factoids, at least the way that I think about it. The glue that holds these factoids into someone's mind is the emotion that we put behind it. So there's we're always looking for personal stories, um, heart hardships along the way, like, you know, huge mistakes that were almost made like thing. Those are the things that really like bring all the color and the glue to a story. And so uh, that we're always we always have an ear out for. And we've had plenty of shows that feel a little bit more like, ah, it's a bunch of factoids and it's interesting, but like doesn't stick. And then we've had some shows that just like turn into shows that we had no idea that would turn into left field, deeply emotional. And we go where the story where the stories take us. I might have an idea of what I wanted to feel like ahead of time, but then we hear a story and I'm just like, whoa, I had no idea. Um, whereas other shows, uh, kind of want to know every single beat, every single emotion, every single, uh, how the story's going to play before yeah, you even start that's, writing That's it. what I expected. Yeah. I thought that's just how people did it, but your way sounds much better. I just, yeah, I just, I, since I own my show and since it's independent and, uh, we were briefly with a network and I know a lot of friends who are on networks and stuff. Um, I can do whatever I want with the show, which is why so many people love podcasts from five to 10 years ago. It's just because they had so much, so much freedom to do things. So in my freedom as an independent podcaster, which there are not very many, um, on, on, you know, medium to large shows. Um, yeah, I, I like, I, I, I just want to green light my curiosities and then see where, what comes out of it. Cause if I'm interested in that sound or that, that concept, surely some other people will be, and I, we just have faith that they will. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, so I, I do want to talk about the boast thing. So well, not just the Bose thing. So I was listening to an interview that you did today and you said, you know, um, Bose came in and they wanted to sponsor, I think it was like 13 shows. And then I listened to an episode today um, where I listened to the short SM7 episode, as I mentioned earlier, and I I think they sponsored that show as well. Mm -hmm. So as an independent podcaster, so you're on a huge scale, right? And most people that are that, you know, that I would that I would know who are on a smaller scale, they get worried where, you know, I've had five episodes of my podcast and now I want to introduce one ad. And they're like, oh, listeners are not going to like this. They're going to think that you sold out, all this kind of stuff. 
and you're on a huge scale and and you've got a sponsor coming to you saying we want to sponsor an episode like how did how did you approach that and how did you make like how, I, I guess yeah how did you approach it and how did you make sure or were you worried that you know people would listen to this and people would be like you know this show is 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 sold out because like the sm7 podcast right i was thinking about this today like how, how would i phrase this question and i and i was saying it wasn't an advertisement for the sm7 but then i was thinking but at the same time it was an advertisement for the sm7 not intentionally but you tell the story so well that if mm. i have the money and i'm a podcaster or i'm a musician and i can afford an sm7 that's what i'm going to get so yeah. like so like how did how did you approach that episode well, I'll rewind and, and talk about bows because they are kind of two sides of a coin in the way that I think about it. Because bows happened really early. And um, I was just a bows. Uh, I just liked bows stuff. I like I like bows stuff. I, I think that the heart behind it, they're in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right down the street from MIT. No, they're not in Cambridge. They're uh, they're they're kind of they have a big tie with MIT, uh, MIT, but they're kind of out in the suburbs a little bit. All of that to say is um, I, I was looking for like a big sponsorship that was sound related because at the time I was just doing kind of normal podcast ads and we don't do anything, any ads that I just fundamentally disagree with. Like there are times where we get uh, questions about ads that, are, that, are, that go into places where I'm like, Oh no, this is, this is gonna, this isn't good or it's too um, adult or whatever. And it doesn't feel right on the show. Um, so I, I first just, just getting ads to begin with, I was like, I, at the time, like when the first Blue Apron ad, because that was the first one, I think Squarespace might have been the second one. I was so just thrilled to not be paying out of pocket that I, at the time, I was just like, this is what big podcasts do. And I, I guess I think that it felt more like a graduation into a big podcast when you have to do ads. So I never really thought of the listeners as being um, turned uh, off by having ads but more so as of having ads as a way to even kind of build that legitimacy. Because if you're a large podcast, you have a staff and, you, and you've got to pay for that staff and your impressions will, will pay for that staff. So I kind of think of like to be a large podcast, you got to have ads. It's the way that I always thought about it. I mean, I wish I wish that I didn't have to have ads, but um, but uh, luckily all the ads that we've had, it's just, uh, you know, companies that we believe in and we like. So, um, but the Bose was the first big partnership. So I actually sought that out myself. No one came to me. I basically went to, I don't know, LinkedIn and found the CEO of Bose and found their email and said, here's what I'm doing. Uh, I'd love to partner with Bose if you, if you'd be interested you know, we're trying to elevate hearing, blah, 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 blah. Wrote the CEO, hit send, never heard back. So then I went to the, the, the CMO marketing officer, wrote her, sent it out nothing wrote the next person vp of marketing whatever sent it out nothing wrote the next person just went down the line from ceo down eventually i hit this person that said it was something like and i've never met this person to this day i have no idea who that this person was but i wrote some some person who said that they had on their linkedin it said something like you know part uh bows and nfl partnership uh coordinator or something and i wrote and within 30 seconds i got looped in with somebody like it was just like oh hey i'm not the right person but this person is you know take it away which is amazing so then um then i kind of did the spiel there i usually if something happens it's cuz somebody knows about the show already in a company if no one knows the show nothing's going to happen like <laughs> but if someone knows the show like we get it's like full like zero friction um uh, I've noticed. So it, when I get into a situation where we're trying to like set something up and I get the vibe that no one knows the show, I'm like, this is never going to happen. So I guess somebody, Bose kind of just rolled around a little bit. Um, but then, uh, they, they started asking, uh, you know, to, if it, you know, figure it out. And I, they had, they had booked 10 episodes, but I don't think we hit our, all our impressions. So I gave them three more episodes just to hit all of the impressions. But again, that was another big turning point from the Roman, Roman Mars thing. Like Roman kicked it off smaller uh you know kind of go to squarespace.com and put in the promo code blah uh that kept kind of floated us for a little while bose was the first thing that was actually like enough money that felt like it actually like put us on a solid footing that was the moment where 20,000 hertz like actually started paying for itself and at that point was probably where where that big loss at the beginning was kind of slowly being dissolved so with that bose always holds a special place in my heart because fine you know roman seated the show with audience bose put us on a fundamental uh, on a on a financial foundation that we are still benefiting from today 
And so with them, we did 13 episodes where we just did kind of like more in-depth mid-rolls and stuff. We even did post-rolls that were like five minutes long talking about products and stuff with with people. I put it at the end because I, I, in the middle, people would go bananas. Um, Some people, you know, for the most part, it was very well-received. Of course, I had some people saying now we're a shill for Bose and we're just basically a Bose podcast. But I'm like, if you knew how, like, you are listening to it for free. If you knew how much gut churn and how painful financially this show has been, you would totally be fine with it. So I, um, you know, there are a lot of people who would recognize that too. Like I get, you know, good for you. I understand based off of podcasting that this is hard to get. So the last episode, the 14th episode, we actually did an episode about Bose, um, but they were not, that was never paid for directly for me. It was, it was a show called the gift, which is, and this is something I don't think I've ever, ever really clearly stated um, anywhere. But like the show was called The Gift and it was about Amar Bose, who is an immigrant who came over, found, went to MIT, founded Bose, built this company. I mean, my vibe from being at Bose is people just really believe in the mission. It feels very authentic. Um, but what what Amar Bose did was when he um, passed away, he gave the majority stake, I believe it's the majority stake of Bose to MIT. Um, so they can't they they can't interfere with how the the company is run but they benefit unbelievably massively financially from it so he gave away so much money in residual uh, income to MIT for long periods of time we called the show the gift that's what they call it internally in bose at bose but this subtext that no one really knows other than like me and a handful of people on my staff is that they gave us a gift of this show like had they not given us that that time and that sponsorship that again, that was, we're at a, we were at a crossing point of, of, could we make the show work? Um, and so they just blocked us out. They kind of put us on a decent financial footing. I did that show as kind of more of a gift for them because of just how the gift was for us and, uh, all that stuff. And, uh, and it was a beautiful show and I just, and it was never planned on doing the show. It's just, I found out about that show interviewing people at Bose and I went, Oh my goodness, Amar Bose is like an unbelievable, like, force and sound. And I I know that we've been sponsored by Bose and I know people are going to be like, how dare you, you know, do a show about Bose. But I was like, this is one of the most influential people in all of audio here. And, uh, and I wanted to tell it. So we did that. So that's, that was then. So that was like a big pillar from that point, fast forward all the way into very recently. Sure. So this was, this is four years after maybe, yeah, about four years after, uh, the Bose thing. So we've matured a lot. I get how this works, all that stuff. Um, we had always kind of put in the back of our mind a show about microphones, kind of how they work. I've always been fascinated by this mic that I'm talking into right now, uh, the SM7, because I see it everywhere. And so it was already something that was like rolling around. And I was like, God, it's going to feel weird just doing a show about kind of a microphone. And so I don't know. I just kind of sat on it for a while. Um, someone from Shure reached out. Or we had a writer that also worked, uh, writes for Shure and stuff. And I was like, ah, we've been thinking about this show and then uh, somebody got, you know, somebody mentioned it to sure. They like immediately were on board because they knew the show. Again, things get done when people know the show. They immediately knew the show. They were like, you know, we're interested in, you know, we'd love for you to do this um, SM7 show. I think I'd, I'd showed them the, the Roland 808 show that we did too, which was kind of similar um, where we were really kind of unpacking the 808 and its influence on um, uh, it's, you know, it's made by these Japanese engineers, but it defined the sound of hip hop, <laughs> West Coast hip hop, especially. And so I just love that thing. So anyway, this, the, the SM seven is still doing these. I know it was doing these really profound things. They're like, we want to support you. Uh, and I was like, how do you want to do advertising? They're like, we don't want you to do advertising. We want you to tell the story exactly like you would tell the story. Um, and it was already rolling around in our, in our minds. So basically the SM seven episode was, was awesome because they basically gave us money to make it, but had zero notes on how we did it like all the way through the end, like what we, what we wrote came out and they never pushed back on anything. They were just, you know, helpful. And that's the only way that the partnership works. Cause I feel like if we're doing, you know, hard sells in the middle or like, you know, get it for, you know, three ninety nine at X place or something like, it's just going to fall flat and I wouldn't have even taken their money. So that was part of the stipulation. It's just like, if we're going to do a show about this, it needs to feel like a 20,000 Hertz show. Um, otherwise people are going to lose trust in us and think we're just taking, you know, money or whatnot just to do it whatever so that was really positive and it turned out great i loved the show they love the show um they're using it so if you actually go to the sm7 page on shore you can scroll down and the, you have an embeddable player of our show 
talking about it. And uh, I guess for me, I'm just shocked that it was not <laughs> that clearly uh, told uh, prior to that that point. I mean, maybe it's some other maybe on YouTube or something, but not in not in podcasting. Yeah, I mean, potentially all, all I know from podcasting and like what's the best mic you can buy today and all that kind of stuff is everyone says Michael Jackson use it to record Thriller. So I yeah, knew that. Pretty much. <laughs> but apart from that, I have, I have no idea. Um, yeah. So, all right. So I, I, I am going to be mindful of your time. So I, I'm going to wrap it up, but I have just a couple of like quick fire questions and then and then we'll close it out. Sure. All right, cool. Um, so the first the first question is, who is your podcast host? Oh, Megaphone. Did, did you think that I meant who hosts the show? For a I've second asked there, to, I was like, I do. Yeah, I've, I, like, I've asked this to so many people and I keep meaning to, uh, I, I keep meaning to change it because everybody thinks the same thing. They're like, oh, it's me. Who hosts the show? Me? Yeah. Megaphone, uh, <laughs> as far as where our audio files go. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right. Um, what are your top three favorite podcasts that you're listening to right now? Oh, there's nothing like making a podcast to ruin all podcast listening. So I will be very straightforward and say that I listen to very little podcast now. It's too hard to get stuck in their form, get really jealous if they do a really great episode. So usually if I'm listening to a show, it's for a very specific reason, maybe to feature it on our show. But I found that in order for us to make the best possible 20,000 Hertz episode, I really don't want to be like overly influenced on other shows. Uh, because early on, you know, it was very much 99PI. And now I wanted to find an independent voice from that. And so I feel like the way the path to it feeling like its own very distinct show is being not super influenced by other shows. Okay, I think that's fair. So what is a microphone that you would recommend that is not the SM7? Um, Not the SM7, SM58, probably. <laughs> it's just so versatile. Um. When somebody doesn't have the money for an SM7, I'm like, get an SM58. Like, it's it's going to be great. It's um the handheld kind of ball microphone. The reason I say that, and, and I, there's great condenser mics. There's all kinds of amazing mics out there. But I just believe in dynamic microphones with the current, with the way most people are recording in bedrooms or not optimal places. You need something that just doesn't pick up. I don't want a microphone that picks up, you know, something that's downstairs and on the street and across the street and, you know, the highway that's that's a half mile away. Like condenser mics are so sensitive that you just hear everything. And I that's why I use dynamic mics generally. All right. So I think that is a good place to wrap it up. I have one last question, which is if someone is going to go and check out 20,000 Hertz, what is the episode that you would recommend they listen to? Um, the good thing is, is that our show is very evergreen on purpose, so you can really start with anything and that's by design. So nothing, nothing ties into another one unless we did a two part, which is really rare and we're really clear off the top of our, uh, head. Um, what best represents the show? God, so hard because everyone has so many different opinions on it. But I will say that nowadays we really focus on being wholesome, happy, and positive, um, especially over like the past couple of years where we went through an election and then we went through the pandemic and all that stuff. I right at the beginning of all this stuff, I was like, I'm not doing any of that because you're going to hear this from everyone. Like every single podcast turned into the COVID cast, every podcast turned in like ultra political. And these are really important subjects and stuff. But I was like, this is not where 20,000 Hertz needs to be. So, um, so nowadays we just really focus on just joy, um, joy filled stuff. Um, so I would say for that, I don't know. I, for me, one of the most special, I would say like, I'll give a couple things. The 433 episode is really interesting because if you've never actually had a performance of John Cage's 433, you'll get one in the show with all of the context of why it's, it's profound. And I actually did a Ted talk on that too last year. Um, so that's a big show. Uh, 433, which is like a John Cage's silent piece. It's a little bit more um, weighty and a little bit more serious. Um, as far as just like really uh, profound, uh, our space remix episode that really kind of like really crystallizes how our ears are very earth, like our, our home, like related. Cause when you pull away from earth, it's like our ears become pretty worthless um, our eyes don't though. Um, and so as far as just like joy and the feelings that it gave me, probably the Minecraft episode, because I had my daughter on the show. Um, and it was like the, uh, it was like me, my daughter, and then the actual like composer sound designer of Minecraft, uh, kind of, and for me, that show just brings so much like joy to me. Uh, even if you've never played Minecraft, it's just a thing that is just so nice to me and kind of defined uh, this chapter of 20,000 Hertz, I think. Okay. All right. All right. Perfect. And then final, final question. 
And where can people find you online, um, you know, Twitter or Instagram and all that good stuff? Yeah. So um, as far as podcast hosts, so in any podcast player, if you type out 20,000 hertz, all spelled out like TWE, etc., you'll find us there. As far as website, 20korg, 20k.org. Uh, Twitter, 20korg, you know, slash 20korg. Facebook, 20korg. Um, my, uh, Instagram, we don't have a 20,000 Hertz Instagram, but we have a de facto sound Instagram where we do kind of some behind the scenes stuff. And, um, and then you can also get really get a taste of like kind of the, the umbrella above 20,000 Hertz and kind of how 20,000 Hertz fits into the, like the holistic picture. So, uh, I find it fascinating. So you can hear really super highly stylized sound design for ads, but then you also see kind of like little nuggets, podcast nuggets that you might not get anywhere else. We're, I think the most interesting place for us is probably um, Twitter uh, for 20,000 Hertz and then Instagram uh, de facto sound is where you're going to get like really cool tidbits and stuff. Okay. All right. Perfect. And then I'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Um, and that is that is a wrap. That's that's the whole thing. So Nice. So before we go, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask? That's a good question. And I asked that exact same question uh, uh, in all of my interviews. And here's a great thing to mention is I'm just going to deconstruct the question. Uh, The question basically is used beautifully because the question, what it does is it evokes the guest to recap everything. What they'll all do is they'll go, no, I think we got all of it. It's they all do the exact same thing. I think we got to everything, you know, basically. And then what they do is they summarize the entire conversation because it's so great for audio because it's so good to use at the end. So, um, you know, if there's anything else we talked about, but I take that a little bit further and I'll go like, you know, I'll start with, is there anything else we, you know, that we haven't talked about that we should talk about? And they go, oh, I don't think so. And then they recap everything in a really concise, perfect way for audio. The other thing I'll ask at the end is like, why does this matter? You know, in the grand scheme of everything, like, why does the sound of, you know, this phone matter, you know, like, and I just try to bring it down to like, who, who cares? Why does it matter? And then all it evokes so much personal emotion because they've, they've spent so much time focused on this and they'll be like, because sound matters, because hearing matters, because like, we're trying to make the world better. And then you get all this passion that you can end a show on. The third question I'll ask is, okay, erase that. But like you personally, specifically, like why, why does, you know, making, you know, why did, why you could have been an accountant, you could have been a lawyer, you probably could have made more money doing all of these other things. Why have you specifically devoted your life to the, you know, acoustics of bats or something? And then you just, then it's poetry. Everything that comes out of their mouth is poetry. And that's how, that's actually a hook of how we end our shows is, is it's all about asking the questions that evoke the most um, personal response or personal um, feelings because it takes a good 30 to 45 minutes to really feel like someone's taken their guard down. And so I always ask it at the very end because then you just get really beautiful poetic answers because people have devoted their life to something so niche. And so, uh, as for me, is there anything else we wanted to talk about? I just wanted to talk about how great of, uh, ending questions, how effective they can be in, uh, in podcast interviews. Huge thanks to today's guest, Dallas Taylor. You can connect with Dallas via Twitter or Instagram, or you can go to the 20k.org website. All the links for all of that is in the show notes. And I would highly recommend you check out his podcast, 20,000 Hertz. And I I have to say, I was a little skeptical when I first listened to the show because, you know, it's a show about sound. You know, how interesting could that be for someone who, like me, who's not really in that sort of industry? I have to say, it is super interesting. As soon as you start listening, you are hooked. Just like you mentioned in the show, Dallas is able to take a subject or a topic in the sound world and convey it in a way that is totally accessible for anybody, regardless of whether you're in the sound industry or not. And I would personally recommend the Netflix episode. So that dum sound that you hear at the start of a Netflix TV show or a movie, you see the end on the screen and you hear that sound. There's a whole story behind that. It's super interesting. And If you listen to the show, you also find out that it almost wasn't that sound and it actually was almost a sound of a goat instead. So again, thanks for all of that is in the show notes. Go check it out. It's a great episode. It's a great podcast and I would highly recommend it. On to my highlight of the week and in keeping with the theme of the 20,000 Hertz podcast and the conversation you just heard. So in keeping with the theme of the 20,000 Hertz podcast and the conversation you just heard me have with Dallas, my highlight of the week is going to be around sound and it's actually going to be a microphone. And that microphone is the Samsung Q2U. 
So the conversation that you just heard me record with Dallas, I was using the Samsung QTU. It's the first mic that I ever bought for podcasting. Between this show and my other show, Coffee and Coding, I've recorded over 50 episodes with that microphone. And so if you're looking for a microphone that doesn't break the bank and sounds great, then it's £70 in the UK and $60 in the US as I'm recording right now. So super affordable, great sound quality. And so that's my highlight of the week. And and I also wanted to give you a, a couple of reasons why I like the microphone. But before I do, I also wanted to point out that the conversation that you just heard me have with Dallas was recorded on a Samsung QTU. And the audio that you're hearing right now of me talking is actually recorded on a Rode Procaster because I actually, the conversation that I recorded with Dallas was the second to last time I ever used the Samsung QTU. And since then I switched out to a Rode Procaster. Now, if you're listening to this and you had no idea in the difference of sound quality, then it shows you how great the Samsung Q2U is. And really, the only reason that I switched microphones was because I wanted something that looked a little bit cooler and that was a little bit fancier, if I'm being totally honest. I didn't need to change the microphones. But one thing I do like about the Rode Procaster is that it it's white noise level. So the like baseline level of sound that it captures when nobody's talking is really, really, really quiet. So it needs very little noise reduction. Samsung QTU is totally standard, so it's not like it's really loud, but I just like the fact that I could turn this one up a little bit more and get a little bit less noise than I could on the Samsung QTU. But again, if you're looking for a microphone and you're on a budget, I would recommend the Samsung QTU all day long. I even tried out a Shure MV7, which like the Samsung QTU, is a USB and XLR microphone. And I didn't think the difference was anywhere near the price cost. Like the Shure MV7 is about three times the price of a QTU. And so if you were going to ask me, which one would you get? If you have the money and you want something that's fancy, I'd say get the Shure MV7. But if you're on a budget, then I would say absolutely get the Samsung QTU. Like I said, it plugs straight into your laptop or your device, whatever you're using. So I've only ever used it on USB mode. Everything I've ever recorded is with USB and it just plugs straight into my laptop. I hit record in Audacity and it's and it's done. So that is my highlight of the week is the Samsung QTU. Links for that are in the show notes if you want to go and check it out. And I also found a review that Budsprout, um, which is a great podcast host, did on the microphone. So I'll also link that in the show notes as well. So you can go check that out too. So that is it for today's episode. But before I end the show, I asked last week for you to review the show. And I said, if you review the show, that I would read your review out on the show next week, being this week. So um, I'm going to read out one of the reviews that was left last week. It was from Alex and it was specifically around last week's episode with Cindy Robinson. So if you haven't listened to that, I would highly recommend you go and listen to that. But Alex's review was, I love this episode because it's not glamorizing the process of making a podcast. More than once I thought, damn, I'm not alone. Cindy has so many helpful tips about podcasting and how to stay centered and not over-focus on the numbers. So encouraging. And Rob, that's me, is a great interviewer I'm learning a lot from. Great episode, great show, 100% would recommend. Keep it up. And Alex also has a podcast. And as I mentioned last week, if you're going to leave a review, make sure you write down if you have a podcast because then you get a shout out on this show. So, you know. And Alex's podcast is Do I Need School to Be dot dot dot. And I'll leave a link for that show in the show notes. So you can go and check that out too. So thank you very much, Alex, for your review. And if, if you'd like to leave a review, you can do so on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or go to your podcast app of choice. And if they let you leave a review, leave us a positive review and I will read it out on the next episode of Inside the Podcast Studio. So just before you go... What are you struggling with in regards to your podcast right now? Hit me up at rob at insidethepod.co and let me know what you're struggling with right now. And hopefully I'll be able to help you. And if not, I'm sure I'll be able to point you in the right direction. Alternatively, you can hit me up on Instagram, DM me at Inside the Pod Studio. I would love to be able to help you with whatever it is that you're struggling with right now in relation to your podcast. So hit me up and hopefully I can help you out. A coffee and coding production.